Go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. I want to add my welcome to Aaron's. Thank you for being here together with us today. My name is Matt Rawlings, one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you are joining together to be with us to worship Jesus. We are in the book of John, continuing our way through the book of John, and it's especially appropriate as we are in this Advent season, which begins this week. And by the way, if you don't know what Advent is, it's the period of time where we begin to prepare our hearts to celebrate the the coming of Jesus that what you celebrate in in December on December 25th and so if you want some help doing that preparing your hearts for that uh, let me recommend some resources to you out on the book table out there and there's a couple laying out there in the lobby as well of daily devotions to begin to prepare our hearts um, to worship him so um, this is Just a few days before this passage is found, just a few days before Jesus is going to head to Golgotha to give his life. And so what we find here really is a prelude of what Jesus himself will do. Um, Turn your Bibles to John 11, verses 1 through 46. We're going to read the entire account here because this entire account hangs together. It's, It's an account of what Jesus did to resurrect and give new life. This is God's holy, inspired word for us. Let's read it together. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you might believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we might die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God... God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she said to this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had left him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loves him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor if he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Let's ask God to help us understand this. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've preserved this account for us, for our good, for us to learn from you. God, so often death and suffering are so very confusing to us. And we often do not see with your perspective. Father, I pray that you would enable us to see with the perspective of your son, that we would enable us to see from the perspective that this scripture teaches us, that you would Enable us to have hope in you through suffering, hope in you that you are the one who holds us through suffering, hope in you in the midst of death, that that you are the one who is the Son of God, Jesus, that you are the one who is the resurrection of life. And Lord, I pray that we we would be sure in you, we would trust in you. God, enable all of us to hear today. Lord, many of us are tired from traveling, from Thanksgiving. I pray that you would give us supernatural strength, give us ears to hear minds to understand, hearts to be softened towards you, Lord, and enable me to preach your words by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Yesterday, many of us gathered here to mourn the death of Rachel Sloan. Although she was troubled and her, her death was untimely, and the week before she died, her care group spoke of how Jesus is the one, the good shepherd, the one who calls his sheep and holds them in his hand, that no one is able to remove them from his hand. They talked of how God holds us securely and how Jesus and the Father are one. And our hope is that Rachel was held securely in the Father's hand. For all of us, our hope, it's not in our ability to hold on to Jesus. You can say amen. Our ability, our hope is not in our ability to hold on to Jesus, but in his ability to hold on to us. All of us are frail, all of us suffer, all of us are weak, all of us falter and fail. Our confidence is that he never fails, his grip never fails. As I was sitting there yesterday, my, my thoughts so often is what happens in, in funerals, they were, they were taken to thinking of life and the purpose of life and why we're here and what's important in life, what what Rachel was living for, what I was living for, what I'm living for now. Funerals and deaths, they have a way of clarifying things for us, don't they? I can only imagine that not only the people watching, but Mary and Martha must have had a lot of time to think as, as they waited for Jesus to come and he didn't, as they waited for him to show up and he didn't as they thought that maybe he would just send word like he'd done before and her brother, their brother would be healed, but yet he did not. And yet their, her brother died, and maybe they thought, well, he'll join us and mourn with us, and he wasn't at the funeral. Funerals are a time when we're faced with thoughts of the brevity and frailty of life. Time we reflect on, on the one where we mourn and we naturally assess our own lives as well and we reflect about what our loved one was known for, what we're living for, then naturally we're drawn to think, what are we known for? What are we living for? And then we have to process, what does God have? What does God, why does he allow suffering? Why does he allow death? The death of Lazarus from this passage, it is, it is very good for us to see because it teaches us some things. It helps us learn some things. It gives us an anchor that's, that's secure in times of suffering and in times of death. We see that there is a perspective that is greater than suffering, greater in death that we need, and that's that sometimes Jesus allows suffering so that we might see so that we might see who he is and believe in him for life. You see, Jesus here, he's intentionally allowing suffering for Lazarus. Now you might think, that's, that's perplexing. What in the world's going on? Lazarus was a good friend. He stayed in their house all the time. He was constantly, wherever he passed through Bethany on the way to Jerusalem, or he's going to visit Jerusalem, he typically would stay with them. This was a beloved family. We see that that in the midst of suffering, Jesus is purposely delaying, and he's even allowing suffering and death. That can be difficult for us to understand. I think it was difficult for Martha and Mary to understand. 
We can see, especially from Mary's response, Martha has a response that it expresses the difficulty, but yet faith, and yet Mary, the one who previously has poured ointment on Jesus' feet, now she is struggling, and we don't see faith, but we see a bitter complaint. And I think what we're we're meant to see through these first six verses, one of the first things, one of the first truths we're meant to see is that, that sometimes Jesus does delay and allow suffering. Sometimes Jesus delays. He allows suffering. When my children were young, I I used to let my children do things that were hard for them. And sometimes there were things that they thought were beyond their ability. And sometimes they really were. And I I would push them sometimes. Share before how I pushed them riding a bike and they all hated me for it in the moment. Afterwards, they were like, this is the best thing ever. I pushed my son to learn how to climb a rope. He hated me. And then later he rejoiced. And... uh, At times, I pushed my kids when they were younger because I loved them. Not because I was trying to be mean to them or trying to be harsh with them or just teasing a man up. No, that's not it at all. I wanted them to grow. I wanted them to learn. I wanted them to do things that were uncomfortable, guiding them through it to strengthen them, to help them grow because I loved them. Not because I hated them, but because I loved them. And that's the motivation that we see here in this passage is Jesus is not hateful towards Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We see the motivation in Jesus' delay is actually that he loved them. He loved them. This, after all, was Mary, it says in in verse 2. We're going to see this next week. This was Mary who anoints Jesus' feet. By this time, the story was already well known, and so doubtless John was already banking on the fact that everybody had heard of this extravagant devotion that Mary had for Jesus, where she, she breaks this vial of costly ointment to anoint him. She spends all she has, her most costly possession, and then she wipes his feet with her hair. Mary loved Jesus. Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In fact, the the sisters, when they sent to him, they said, in verse 3, they said, Lord, he who you love is ill. They knew that he loved them. That was what they were banking on. That was what their appeal to him was. Effectively, their prayer to Jesus was, Lord, the one you love, he's ill. And and that's actually the basis for our prayers to Jesus, that that he might heal us, is, is that... He loves us because we've placed our trust in him and God has adopted us as his children and because he loves us, we can confidently pray and we can pray wholeheartedly asking him to heal us because he loves us and that's a good thing. But sometimes, as in, is the case in this account, he does not heal and he delays. And he's thinking, why, why on earth would Jesus not hurry and go heal his dearly loved friend? Why didn't he respond as he had before? Why didn't he just send word like he had with the official from Caesar's house when his son was sick? And he says, you know, go back, your son is healed. And the moment that he said that the son was healed, he didn't have to be there. Jesus already had demonstrated he has power to heal whether he's present or distant. He has power over life or death. He could have done that. It didn't have anything to do with his lack of affection. We know that because he, it, John writes in verse 5, he reiterates not just their request was based on love, but he actually reiterates and he affirms that. He says, look in verse 5, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and, and Lazarus. 
So he could not have delayed because he didn't love them. So why else would he delay? Why else would he let them die? I, I can imagine if it were my family member, if it was your family member, we want Jesus to come quickly to heal. I'd want Jesus to heal a sibling if he could and I might expect it if I knew that he loved me. Maybe you've been in that place. I know I have been praying for Jesus to heal and he didn't always. At times he has healed and I've seen miraculous healings both in myself and in other people. And yet my mother died. She loved Jesus. Jesus loved her. Lazarus died. Do you ever wonder why? What we see is that, that Jesus not only waited, he intentionally waited. You think, how could he? Why would he? And it says, but he loved him. So he, it's not any lack of love or affection. So we, we can be sure that Jesus loved them. He cared for them. But look in verse 6, it says, so or because is probably the better translation there. Because When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer because he heard that, because he knew he was ill, because he was sick, because he had something greater in mind through the suffering and death of Lazarus. His love for them compelled him to deliberately delay. It says he loved them, so because he loved them, he delayed. For us, that's hard to understand, right? So Jesus, because you love me, you're delaying. Because you love me, you're allowing suffering. Because you love me, you're allowing my loved one to die. What in the world's going on? It says, so because he loved them, he delays. Instead, two days longer. It's because he wanted something that was better for them than the alleviation of their suffering. He wanted them to learn. He wanted them to grow, to see the glory of Jesus as the Son of God. Because seeing the glory, this is the second truth we need to get here, is that seeing the glory of Jesus and believing in him is what is needed most. That's the second truth we need to grasp is that seeing the glory of Jesus and believing in him is what is needed most. We can feel like alleviation of suffering is what's needed most, but you know what? Knowing Jesus, seeing his glory, seeing that he's the son of God and then believing in him, that is what will hold us secure not only in this life but in the life to come and that is what is needed most. Let's imagine for a moment that Jesus had healed Lazarus. That would have been good but would not have led to them seeing what they needed to see. It would not have led to them seeing the glory of Jesus as the very Son of God. It would not have, have led to many believing in him. It would not have led to further faith and increased faith in him. They needed Jesus to delay because seeing the glory of Jesus and believing him is what they needed most. Now, from what Jesus has said, the disciples probably were not concerned about Lazarus because Jesus had said, well, this isn't an illness that leads to death, and so they trusted him, they believed in him. They didn't know what he meant. He meant it won't lead until final death, but Jesus knew he was gonna die. That's why he delayed. 
And so when Jesus goes and he says, hey, let's go to Judea, they, they protest because they're thinking, hey, you're going to get stoned there. You know, last time you left Judea, the Jews picked up stones and tried to stone you, and you got out because it wasn't your time yet. But Jesus, you're going back there. It doesn't make sense. That's really foolish. And yet Jesus was risking his life because what was more important was for them to see the glory of Jesus. They also need to see that no one can take his life from him. That's why Jesus told them, he says, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm going in the daylight and, you know, there's 12 hours in the day. And that basically what he was saying is, it's not his time. It's the daylight when his appointed work is yet to be done. And so they're not going to stumble. They're walking in the daylight. It's not nighttime yet. It's not the, the time of his hour when he will be put to death. But they were still perplexed, and so Jesus made his intention clear for them, and he, and he made it really explicit. He says, well, no, why, why I want to go is because our brother Lazarus, he fell asleep. And they were like, well, God, if he's fallen asleep, then, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, then, then won't he recover? Because, hey, sleep's good for you. And, and he says, no. Okay, you, you need to understand. Now, now the reason why they, they didn't understand is because falling asleep was not yet a commonly used term. It, af, after that, now you see that all throughout the epistles, it's a, it's a reference to the death of a believer because we know that this earthly life is, when it passes, we're not truly dead. So Jesus told them plainly in verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died. Now, for the reader, it's already shocking to read that because Jesus loved them, he delays two more days. And now uh, it raises all kinds of questions when Jesus says, Lazarus has died. So Jesus knew he was going to die and knew he was dead. Nobody gave him this word. Nobody told him. This was divine revelation. And then, and then the shocking thing, look at verse 15. This is, should be really shocking to us. It was shocking to the first readers. It should be shocking to us. Look at verse 15. He says, he says something here the disciples must have thought was very confusing. He says, Lazarus has died. And then he says something shocking to them. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad. They must have been really shocked, perplexed. Lazarus was their friend after all, too. They had probably stayed with Mary, Martha, or Lazarus. He says, for your sake, I am glad that I wasn't there. Jesus is glad that he wasn't there to heal Lazarus? What a statement. How in the world could he be glad that he wasn't there? For their sake. Oh, he says, for your sake, I was glad. Jesus wasn't relishing the fact that Lazarus died or suffered. No, he was saying, it's for your sake because there's something greater at stake here. There's something greater that you need to see. You need to see the glory of me as the son of God, is what Jesus is saying. You need to see his own glory. Glory is Jesus is the son of God. And so that they might truly believe that he's the son of God, that is far more important than the suffering, even in death, that Lazarus experienced. It was the ultimate, most caring thing. Look back in verse four. It says, Jesus explained this ahead of time. They just didn't get it. At the end of verse four, he says, it's for the glory of God. The whole purpose was for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. Jesus wasn't concerned by Lazarus' illness and his death, not because he didn't care, but because he knew what he would bring about, that he was going to glorify himself through this, and that he would bring about true belief, lasting belief, that lasted through death, beyond death. Because you know what? The, the reality is that Lazarus still ended up dying later. He was resurrected, and that's awesome. But you know what? He died again, physically. And, and so what, what was more important, long-term, 
was that they all saw that Jesus is the Son of God. He has the power over life and death and that he holds the keys to death and hell and that Jesus is the one they can trust. They needed to believe. That's what we need as well. Sometimes we can feel like what we need most is is alleviation of suffering. What we need most is not to die. But you know what? No matter what, every one of us is destined to die. Whether early or late, at some point, we all will. What do we need to see? Oh, our hope is that Jesus is the Son of God. And that we need to see that we can believe in him. So they go, and when they get there, in verse 17 it tells us they found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Jesus got there, he, 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 he found out that you know, Lazarus had, had been long dead. And Jesus knew that. That's why he delayed two days. It probably took about a day or more to, to get word to Jesus. Jesus waited two days, and then he, you know, another day on the way back or so. So Jesus intentionally delayed. Now, he did that because there was this superstition at the time that, that the soul would linger around the body for two, almost three days, that the soul would linger around the body, and that if perhaps somebody could be resuscitated, then the soul would enter back into the body and the person would come alive. And so Jesus was waiting on purpose to, so that it was indisputable. So there's no shadows beyond the shadow of any doubt that Lazarus was dead. He wanted to wait until it was assumed, until they would have believed that, oh yeah, death has sealed the matter. Death has final authority. He wanted to wait until they thought that so he could prove that death did not have the final authority. He wanted something greater than the alleviation of suffering. He wanted something greater for them than raising Lazarus so that he wanted them to know this truth, this third truth that we need to see is that, that we can trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. We can trust in Jesus. No matter what happens in this life, we can trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the life. That's an interesting way of putting it, isn't it? The resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. While he waited, there's no dispute that Lazarus was dead. There's no earthly hope for Lazarus. Mary must have thought that. Because when Mary and Martha heard that Jesus was coming, it's not Mary that goes out to meet them. It's not Mary who sat at Jesus' feet before and wanted to be with Jesus no matter what. Mary was the one who seemed to be uh, most eager to be with Jesus, but now she is not eager. She seems to be doubting. She seems to be struggling, perhaps even angry. But we see Martha's response. And I love that Martha, the one who often gets a bad rap because she was working hard and and serving Jesus, she's the one who has faith here. And Martha goes to him. Now now her statement, they obviously have both talked about this. She makes a statement, but her statement is followed with faith. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That, That could be a complaint. It also could be a statement of faith. We're not sure. It could be saying, God, we know... If you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But what we are sure of is that it didn't end there. Even if it was a complaint, it didn't end in complaint. It's often like the Psalms when, when David pours out his heart of complaint to God. It doesn't end there. He doesn't leave it there. He follows up with faith. God, I don't understand, but because I don't understand, in the midst of not understanding, I have faith in you. And that's what Mary does. She, she models really David's response here. Because look at verse 22. She doesn't stop there. She says, if, if you had been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. She says, no, I, I, but even now, even now, 
What does that mean? Even though my brother's dead and he's been dead for four days, even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What a statement of faith that is. I don't know that that statement of faith would have been possible had Lazarus not died. She affects saying, I know my brother's dead. I don't understand why you waited, but, but if you ask God to make him alive, God will do it for you. So Jesus responds. He responds to her confession, and he says, your brother will rise again. I love the, the mercy, the immediate response of mercy he has towards her. He, he doesn't enjoy the suffering of his saints. He doesn't enjoy death. Martha says, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day, and maybe she was meaning to clarify things. Well, Jesus, do you, do you mean the resurrection of the last day? I, I know that's true. But then Jesus says something to her because this is what she needed to see. This is what we need to see, that, that Jesus, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not as clear in the English language here that what Jesus is saying is it's, one of the, it's the fifth of seven statements that I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And these I am statements are the same kind of statement that God made when he says, I am that I am, declaring who he is, his very character, his nature, when he's declaring to Moses, when Moses is saying, who, who will I tell him sent me? And Jesus says, God says, I am that I am sent you. And Jesus is using the same language, says, I am that I am the resurrection and the life. He's the resurrection. He's the one who the very power of God to make the dead alive again. He's the resurrection. He is the one who raises people up to new life. He is the one who has a power over the grave and to raise people to new life. He is the one who has final word over death. He's the one who resurrects since the resurrection is his to give because he is the resurrection. That's why he puts it like that. He says, I am the resurrection. That's the very character and nature of who I am. I am the one who makes the dead alive. That's the character and nature of Jesus. We need to see that. That's where our hope is. He is the one who makes alive. He's the one who makes the dead live. We need to see that more than anything that because all of us were dead in sin. All of us once were dead in transgressions, dead in sins, unable to hear from him until his voice calls us and he made us alive. Because why? Because he is the resurrection. But it's not only that. He says, I am the life. What does that mean? He's the author of life. He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's life itself, indestructible life. He's not death. He is life, the life of the eternal, ever-living God. He's the one who can give life since he is life. It's his to give. And he tells Martha and everybody since then that that's the reason for our hope is that he's the resurrection and life. And and because of that, whoever believes, he listen to this, whoever believes in Jesus, though he die, so if people have died believing in Jesus, here's the truth, yet shall they live. That was our hope yesterday. That's our hope for all those who place their faith in him, however frail, however faulty, Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, though he die, yes, shall he live. And for all of us who are living, look in verse 26. And everyone who lives, that's that's all of us here, and believes in Jesus. Everybody here who's living, who believes in Jesus, says shall never die. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't physically die, but, but death is merely temporary for those who believe in Jesus. 
You may die biologically, but you will not cease to exist. That's why after this, they often referred to believers dying as sleep. You continue to live eternally if you believe that he's the one. You're born again. His life is in you. His eternal life is what makes you alive. You'll never die. And so we asked Martha, do you believe this? And so look, look at her response. Her response as I think perhaps the, the most remarkable profession of faith in Scripture. In the midst of Jesus allowing suffering for her brother and for them. And allowing death. She says, yes. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe I'm the resurrection of life? And she says, yes, I believe. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. There could be no greater confession than that because that confession, that belief, her trust in Jesus is what made sure the fact that she is still alive today. Martha died physically, but Martha's alive, cheering on, testifying of the greatness of the Son of God. Jesus could have come to Mary, he waited, not exactly sure why, but maybe he was waiting to see if she would come in faith as well. Martha goes back, and I don't know that he actually said that he wanted to see Mary, but that's what Martha told Mary. And so Martha tells his sister that, her sister that Jesus was calling for her personally, so she goes and she comes to him, but when she comes to him, she makes a complaint and she stops there. Look in verse 33. Actually, I'm sorry, in uh, verse 32. She fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then she begins weeping. Now Jesus understood grief, but he wanted them to see that he is greater than grief, that he is able in the midst of grief. When Jesus saw her weeping, look in verse 33, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now those words are not the best translations for us. It's it's hard to, to grapple with those words, the meaning of them. He's not stoic in the face of grief and mourning. He was moved by their sorrows. But the word we have in the English Bibles is deeply moved. It, it, It probably was not deeply moved in the sense of sadness. It Everywhere else in the Bible that it is listed in the New Testament, it has this connotation of a snorting with anger. He was deeply moved. And he wasn't just moved in his spirit like that. He was greatly troubled. And and that kind of has a connotation of being agitated or stirred up or upset. So he was almost angry and irritated, upset, troubled here. And we're not told exactly why, but, but there seems to be a connection between Mary's lack of faith, seeing him for who he is. Because in verse 37, it's also in response. Look in verse 37. He has the same reaction when, when, they, when the people around make a statement of unbelief. He's deeply moved, agitated. And perhaps, in addition to this, maybe he was bothered and stirred up by the distressing effects of death as well. Maybe he's bothered by seeing the ravages of the great enemy of death and stirred up and even more to, to defeat death as he knew he would soon do. But Jesus was making clear here. He wanted to make clear that death has no power over him and death is not the final answer 
despite suffering, despite grief, they can hope in him because he's the resurrection of life. And so we asked where they laid him and they showed him. He wasn't emotionless. He wasn't unaffected. In, in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. It's very simple. The shortest passage in the entire Bible. He was grieved. He was moved. But these weren't tears of despair. He mourned with those who mourned. He, he sympathized with them in their weakness. Now, now, I love how Hebrews puts it. It says, he sympathizes with us in our weakness because he understands us in our human frailty. He was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. But he's not unsympathetic in here, and he's weeping. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. But then they make this statement. In verse 37, they says, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus is deeply moved. He shows that he's not helpless. He's the resurrection of the life. He's upset and he comes to this cave where Lazarus is laid. He tells him to take the stone away and Martha wavers because she is, she's confronted with reality. She's had this great profession of faith. She really has. She, she was expecting that if Jesus asked anything, he could make her brother alive and she professed that he's the Christ, he's the son of God. The son of God can do anything, right? And yet in the midst of reality, she still wavers like we all do. We should be encouraged by these very real accounts because you know what? Even though we have at times great heights of faith, the very next moment sometimes what happens we waver because reality sits in. I really believe, Lord. Oh, oh, but wait a minute. This is really difficult. And so she's, Lord, I really believe whatever you ask. And Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then, but, but he's rotting. It's reality. He was stinking. And if they opened the cave up, um, no doubt that it happened before when bodies had laid there. They, it would have been horrific smell. So she forgot the promise of Jesus and yet Jesus reminds her. He reproves her but so gently. He says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now I think she expresses faith again because what does she do? She doesn't argue, she immediately moves the stone. They take the stone away and Jesus prays a prayer for the sake of the people around them because they need to know that Jesus and the Father are one. They need to know that Jesus is the Son of God and that God always hears what Jesus asks. We need to hear that too. It's not like God is against us and Jesus is appealing on our behalf. No, God so loved the world that he sent Jesus and Jesus and the Father are one. They are for you. They love you. They want what is best for you even though we don't understand it at times. But then after he prayed, look in verse 43, he says something. He says, Lazarus, come out in a loud voice. He didn't pray. He didn't ask. It wasn't an appeal if Lazarus wanted to. And by the way, if you were Lazarus, it had already been four days. You were already, at least in in paradise, you would not have been wanting to come back. And he says, Lazarus, come out. This command woke the dead. It penetrated that curtain that separates life and death. And, and it was a demonstration, really, of what we've already heard, that the voice of the shepherd makes the sheep alive. The shepherd calls and his sheep come. And that's what happens here. He calls and Lazarus' spirit comes back into his body and the command instantly gives life to Lazarus's putrid, rotten body. There was no hope of life. Is showing that Jesus is the resurrection. He's the one who makes rotten people 
to live. It's not just hope for us in this life, and by the way, that is hope for every person you know who does not know Jesus, who is dead in sin, that Jesus is the resurrection. His voice can speak and make alive. That's hope. But it's also hope for us that, you know, one day we will die, we will rot, we'll be in the grave, and yet Jesus has power over the rottenness of death to make alive. He already created man from the dust. Surely he can rise man from the dust again. Well, here every organ was instantly healed. His brain, his nervous system restored, his flesh restored, every part of him given life. And then, and look in verse 44, it says, the man who had died came out. Now, this is kind of a comical picture here. His hands and his feet, they're bound with linen strips. They are still bound. He's not able to move them. They are bound. And so he, he's probably hopping or wiggling out. Now, here's something else. He can't see. And so there's this crazy, both scary and comical picture, right? If you were watching... You would have been freaked out. Because here comes this guy. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And you're like, what? And then he does. He comes out. He's, his hands and his feet are bound. And his face is wrapped up. And they might be wondering, is, is he a zombie? And so I imagine a few of them might have backed up and been like, what in the world? is? What's this thing coming out? And so Jesus says, unbind him. Let him go. And as a result, many of the Jews believed in him even though somebody, some of them reported him. You see, sometimes Jesus allows suffering so that we might see who he is and believe in him for life. Sometimes Jesus delays. He allows suffering in our lives because he loves us and wants what's best for us. And he's able to do what's best for us and he knows what's best for us. But sometimes it's not what we feel or think is best. But this account is to demonstrate that he truly does know best. He wants what's best. He's, he loves and is able to do what's best. We can trust in him as the resurrection of the life. Our hope in this life and life to come, it doesn't rest on our ability to sustain our lives or our performance. I love that. As I was sitting there yesterday, I was thinking, well, just, Jesus is our hope in life. Meaning, we shouldn't be living for any other hope in life. We, we sometimes need suffering and death to remind us of that. That, that also Jesus gives new life where life was not previously possible. And, and do you ever feel like you're stuck in your sins? I do. Did yesterday. Do you ever feel like I, I, I can't change? I don't feel like I can't change. I feel the same. Jesus is the resurrection of life. You need to see that and believe that. Jesus is the resurrection and the life in your life presently, not just in the future. He's the one where you are dead in any areas of your life that you remain dull, that you remain asleep, that you remain in, in a way you think like you're unable to hear, unable to change, Jesus is the resurrection. He's the one who makes alive. And he was the one who gives life. He gives new life where you have not had new life. He enables you to live the new life that he calls you to live. And because of that, we can have hope for each and every day. Hope to confront sin, hope to change. Because he is the God who makes alive. I, I love how Victor Hugo put it. He says, when I go down to the grave, I can say like so many others that I've finished my day's work. But I cannot say that I've finished my life. Another day, day's work will begin the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It's a thoroughfare. It closes with the twilight to open with the dawn. You know, Mary and Martha, they, they, they did not understand 
they probably wondered for days why Jesus had not healed. They knew Jesus loved him. He was able to heal, but because he loved them, he didn't heal. Because he loved them, he didn't do what they wanted. Because he loved them, he delayed. He, he knew the bigger picture. He wasn't just able. He, he knew what was best. He loved them. He wanted what was best. And he wanted something lasting and better for them, more than what this world has to offer. Not hope in this life in any way, in any aspect or portion of this life. Not hope that they can have their loved ones around them. Not hope that they can have friends. Not hope that, they, that people will relate to them and know them and understand them or get them or people will be like them. Not hope in any of these things in this life. Not hope in wealth or health or prosperity. No, 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 no hope in power or prestige or making an impact. No, we are, our hope is in his life, that he is life. He's the very purpose of life. He's the definition of life for everyone who believes. Sometimes he allows suffering and death so we might believe that he's life. So we might believe he's the resurrection. So we might believe and never die. What's most important in this life is not a pain-free, suffering-free existence, although that'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? What's most important is do we believe in Jesus for life? Do we see his glory as the son of God? Do we know him and trust in him? Is he our life? So this morning, is he your source and hope of life? You know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus before this probably would have chosen not to suffer. But you know what? Now I can guarantee you Mary and Martha and Lazarus would all say, we are so glad that he didn't heal. We are so glad that Lazarus died because all of them now see the glory of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All of them now experience the resurrection and the life in its fullest. Would you rather have perfect physical health in your existence now and not trust in Jesus and really have life instead of only having the mirage that this existence offers? Would you rather have all you want in this world and all you think you need or would rather have, would you rather have the one who is the resurrection and the life? Would you rather live for this life and all that has to offer or Jesus who is your life? What this world offers is it's feeble in comparison to the one who is the resurrection of life. The question is, will we believe in him? Let's pray and have the band come up and we'll, we'll close in song.